beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the theme of all of Scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the book of Acts, this is what we find is Jesus is the highlight in the book of Acts. Jesus is the highlight in all of the epistles. Jesus is the highlight in all of the Psalms and the Proverbs and the wisdom literature. Jesus is the highlight with all the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. Jesus is the highlight in the law as Scripture speaks of Him. This is what Jesus had said in John chapter 5 about searching the Scriptures. For in them you think that you have eternal life, but these are they that speak of Me. Jesus has said this a number of times that the Word of God points to Him. He is the highlight, the jewel, the gem, the spotlight is shining upon Christ in all of Scripture. And we need to understand that. We need to understand who Jesus Christ is. We need to understand what the church is. We need to understand who it is that is a part of the church, members of the church. How are they members of the church? We need to understand what it means that we are Christians. And this is what we find all within the book of Acts. We as the church here in in our day and age need to learn from the church in the past. We need to learn from the church in the new covenant as you see it breaking out here in Pentecost. But through the book of Acts explaining, describing what the church's mission and message is. We need to learn from scripture how we are to behave as the church. This is a huge problem in our day. You don't make this up, beloved. It is revealed to us in God's word of how we are to live as the church, how we are to function in the household of faith, the scriptures. This is the paradigm that is given to us in the word of God. So, we find then that the highlight of all of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep on looking to the teaching of God's Word to know how we are to worship and function as the redeemed of Jesus Christ. Now, we have the title in Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. Now, I don't like that title. Um, I think the title probably should be um, the the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and how then the church functions in proclaiming Jesus Christ. Well, that's a pretty long title, isn't it? But I think that that gets to the essence of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the church. We need to see that as important as the people of God. Without the work of the Holy Spirit strengthening, energizing as it were, giving us the strength and the power as believers, to live for the glory of Christ, we fall flat on our face. The fact is, if we are those that are being energized, strengthened, built up by the Holy Spirit as members of the church of Jesus Christ, we are going to have one centered focus on Christ. That is going to be our aim. This one thing is pursuing Christ honoring Christ, glorifying Christ in many different applications, but that is the one thing. We are seeking Him and His kingdom. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. Causes us to recalibrate our minds by the teaching of Scripture 
and to understand the things that are important in life. There are lots of things that we would say are important in life. We all know that we prioritize. There are things that are of much more importance than others. There are things that you know that there's a conflict and you say, well, I'm not going to be able to do that right now because I need to get this done. This is of more importance than that. Beloved, as believers, as those who have been bought body and soul by the Lord Jesus Christ, the first priority we have is to honor and to glorify and seek the Lord Jesus Christ, is to worship Him. That is first and foremost as our priority as the redeemed. Anything that interferes with that must go. That's what you find here in the teaching of the book of Acts. That's what you find in the life of the early church. I wonder, in our day, and, and you know, people can make a big boast with their words, but I wonder if it's a reality that we would truly go to the death rather than forsake the Lord who bought us. This is what we find as the paradigm in the book of Acts with the early church. I don't think we find it much today um, in, in our generation. I think you find a weak and insipid church. I think you find a church that is really irrelevant in society. It's too closed mouth. It's too fearful. Doesn't have enough courage. Doesn't have enough confidence in Christ. It's a church that outsources. You notice as we go through the book of Acts, you don't find the outsourcing that you find today in the church. In other words, we find our strength, our comfort, and we find the problems that are soul issues from the teaching of Scripture. We find that Scripture deals with these things. Not to say that you might not need an Advil here and there, or this, but recognizing that first and foremost, my problem begins in the soul. You can have a physical problem, and you can have spiritual depression. I'm not denying that. But where do you find the remedy? Oh, outsource it. That's what we do in our day. Run to all the medication. Pop a pill. Just do something easy and quick. We don't search the scriptures. We don't ask the questions that we find the apostles ask. We don't ask the questions that the psalmist asked. We don't ask, why am I downcast? What is going on with me that I am so downcast? We, we avoid that. We go for the fast food. We go for the simple remedies. Quick and easy. And that's not what you find in the teaching of Scripture. So, when we begin going through this portion of God's Word, look at what happens in the life of the early church as the Holy Spirit is filling believers. Look at how they live. Look at what is important in their life. Look at what they're ready to give up for the cause of Christ and His kingdom. Which I don't think many in our day are ready to give up. But maybe, maybe going through this, maybe the Holy Spirit will bring the conviction on the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe I will be more convicted. Maybe you will be more convicted by the working of the Spirit through the Word. Maybe our minds will be better calibrated by the truth of God's Word so that our minds being changed, renewed, transformed more and more 
would then instruct and direct the way that we live our lives. Maybe it will be seen in how we live because our mind has changed on certain aspects and areas and things in our life or in this world. That's the prayer. That should be your prayer. Is that the church would begin to find this paradigm of the early church and frame up the church in this manner. Not as the way that you think it should be or what you find pleasurable, what you delight in, but in what Scripture says. This is, I think, to me, is the biggest fault of the church in our day is it does not listen to the Word of God. You can say what you want, but the moment that you begin doing other things and outsourcing and turning in different directions from what the Word of God teaches, you show your cards. You show, you evidence, you demonstrate what's important. So, this is what we read beginning in verse 1. Luke is the one who writes uh, the, the book of Acts. He is the proximate writer. We have the ultimate and the proximate. And you'll see that all the way through. We have uh, the, the human element. We have the divine element. What is the human element of the church growing? Well, it's the disciples. It's the apostles going out and evangelizing. When there was persecution, they were spread and they went everywhere evangelizing the good news of Jesus Christ. So that is the proximate cause of those believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate cause is the Lord Himself. The Lord who regenerates the soul. The Lord who causes one to be raised up spiritually from the dead. The Lord Himself. But the Lord uses means, and we're going to see this as we look at this book of Acts. We're going to see the means, the secondary means, that God uses. So Luke writes this, the former account I made. Now, just stop right there and look back to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and what you're going to find is this is the first account, is the gospel of Luke. This is what he says. He takes in hand, and what he does is he becomes the historian who is looking at all of these events, and he's cataloging them. He is making a historical book. He's bringing proofs. He's examining the witnesses. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand and to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Notice, Luke says, the things that have been fulfilled. What things? The things of the Old Covenant. They have been fulfilled among us. We see them. We recognize it's been fulfilled. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Now, this is the apostles. Eyewitnesses. They saw it with their own eyes. What Peter says about that in 2 Peter 1 is that he has a more sure word than just what I've seen with my eyes. In other words, he rests upon the teaching of God's word, not his experience, but the word of God itself. And he calls them eyewitnesses and ministers. Ministers. Paul uses that a couple of times as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he uses it. Uh, that is a, that's a word that speaks to uh, especially the pastors, uh, 
um, elders as servants of God. And it's the Greek term huperetis. And why it's important, that term, is that it, it speaks of an under rower. It speaks of a galley slave. This is one who is chained to the oars. So that he's underneath, you don't see him working, but he is working chained to the oars so that the ship keeps plodding along in the water. That's because of the under, row, the under rowers, the, the oarsmen, chained as they were as galley slaves. That's what they're called. Ministers of the Word of God. They delivered the Scriptures to them, particular accounts. It seemed good to me having had perfect... Now, that doesn't mean that he is, you understand, perfect or imperfect. It means complete. He had a complete and an accurate understanding of all the events. Luke wasn't a companion of the Apostle Paul. So he goes on and he says, from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Notice the words, most excellent. That was a custom of the day to address some religious ruler, some high authoritative man, because we don't know who this is, but he is one who is of high rank, he is esteemed, some kind of nobility, and he's given this title of most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus just simply means a lover of God. So here is a man who had a love for the things of God, but wanted to know further and understand deeper. And notice something in verse 4. He says, that you, might, that you may know with the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now, the word instructed. For you parents and you kids that don't understand catechism. Catechism is not something made up by the church. That word instructed there in Luke 1 verse 4 is the Greek term katikeo. And what it means is to echo back. So what you have is that the instructor is to give the question and answer and then the student is to echo back that question and answer. It means to sound down to, to speak to the issues. That's what catechism is. That's why we have catechism teaching. Teaching by question and answers. It's a biblical thing. Theophilus was one who was catechized. He was catechized in the faith. Maybe he's a covenant child. Maybe he is a Greek speaking that was brought in, but then was instructed in the Christian faith, but wanted to know deeper. That's what true believers want. They want to understand things in a deeper way. And so this is the context here. Luke is writing to this Theophilus, the lover of God, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Notice the center and the focus of Luke's writing. Jesus. That Luke is desiring to bring Christ to the light again and again and again in all the different aspects and teaching and the circumstances of the church. He is wanting more and more to reveal Christ to Theophilus. The Christian faith. What the church looks like. How the church functions. What's the behavior of individual Christians. Luke is wanting to reveal that with the account that's been given to him to Theophilus to deepen his faith. Let, let me ask you something. Do you desire to grow in your faith? Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, 
If you are not one who is cultivating God's word in your life, then you are not one who is desiring to grow deeper in the faith. You're fooling yourself. And you're just lying when you say that, oh yeah, I desire to grow deeper in the faith. Every true believer has a desire for God's word. Now, there are differing degrees of the desire that the true believer has, but every true believer has a desire. We are the newborn babes who desire the pure milk of the word that we might grow thereby. If you have no desire for the word of God, you're not a Christian. I say that clearly, firmly. If you have no desire. I didn't say that if your desire is faint or that you struggle with it. I said if you have no desire for the word, you're not a believer. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. How do they hear his voice? Through his word. How can I grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I be sanctified? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. How do I know the way, the truth, and the life apart from the word of God? How can I hear the good shepherd? How do I know how to live my life apart from the word of God? It always goes back to the teaching of God's word. Here is a man, Theophilus, who had a love and a desire to grow deeper in the things of God. That ought to be our heart's desire as those who profess Christ. If it is, it's got to be seen in our lives, beloved. No no, no doubt, we struggle with things. I get it. I understand that. But I'm saying, if you have absolutely no desire for the word of God, then you're in a perilous condition. You need to really examine your heart to see whether or not you're really in the faith. Whether Christ dwells in you. You see, Christ doesn't dwell in an individual and that he has no desire for the things of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't take up residence within an individual that they might be rogue, go their own way, and are indifferent to the things of Christ. He stirs us up to love and good works. He is the one who causes us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, faithfulness, self-control. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. We are branches that are connected to the vine, Christ Jesus. His life flows through us. And Jesus said that it's the Father's will that you bear much fruit. And that your fruit would remain. And those who bear fruit, He prunes that we might bear more fruit. Christian bears fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But they bear fruit. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. So, as Theophilus was, so ought we to be. We ought to be one who desires, as we have been catechized in the faith, to grow deeper in the faith. To know the love of Christ in a deeper way. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. There would be an epignosis. There would be an intensified understanding. A greater, a deeper affection and love and desire and understanding of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Pray, beloved. 
Pray that God would revive the church. Pray that He would revive each one of us individually to have a greater hunger and a thirst for the things of God. Pray that the Lord would bring His Word so vibrantly into our lives that we would frame up, we would find the paradigm given in Scripture and we'd frame up our mind in accordance with it. That we would really truly seek first the kingdom of God and desire that, that that would be our prayer. And we wouldn't be a facade. We wouldn't act like we're going through the motions. But that would really be the aim and the desire of our life. We need that desperately in the life of the church. So, Luke goes on. He talks about the things that Jesus did and what He taught. Jesus came and preached the kingdom. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus healed the lepers. Jesus gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He is the one who gave speech to the mute. He is the one who declared all things for the glory of His Father. He is the one who redeemed His disciples. He is the one who fulfilled all the commandments of the law. This is what Jesus did. He went about doing good to all men, preaching the kingdom, calling all men everywhere to repent and to believe on Him as God incarnate, the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Covenant. Jesus is the one who fulfills all this. And this is what Luke says. We need to tell others of what Jesus did and what He taught. This is how we instructed the church. And He did this until the day in which He was taken up. So His earthly life, Luke is condensing this, summarizing some of the things, because you realize that John had wrote in John chapter 20, that if all the things that Jesus did were cataloged, there would not be enough books in all of the world to have them in writing. Jesus did many other things. Luke is summarizing many of the things here. But he had an accurate account of it, of what Jesus did. And so, he says, until he was taken up. Notice the words taken up. This is the ascension. Jesus was taken up out of the sight of the apostles, the disciples. Why was he taken up? What does the ascension mean? Well, you know that Jesus, he lived and he fulfilled all righteousness. You know that he suffered the wrath of God in the place of all of his people. You know that he died and you know that he was resurrected. And you know that he was ascended into the heavens to become the one who was enthroned on high, to sit down at the throne of his father. Ruling over all things. Why it's important is that Christ goes to this coronation, as it were, as up to the Ancient of Days as the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises of God in the Old Covenant. He fulfills them and He sits down as the high priest who has fulfilled and accomplished all the mission that the Father had give him, given Him to do. And now He sits and rules and reigns over the church. And over all things for the church. Luke begins to speak about these things. To tell. Do you tell people about these things? Do you tell people about what Christ did? You know the catechism speaks in this way in 86. By our godly walk we might win others also to Jesus Christ. Have you ever won anybody to Jesus Christ by your godly walk? Has anybody ever asked you about the way you live your life? You know, your godly walk, your life being different from other people. Has anybody ever asked you? 
Why do you do that? You know, I've noticed you doing this. Why do you do that? What's that all about? Why do you speak that way? Why do you behave in those manners? Has anybody ever asked you that? By your godly walk, winning others also to Jesus Christ? You know, this is, this is the life of the Christian. We only, not with our lips, but also with our lives. We are to live a distinct life. It's a different life, isn't it? It's a separate life. It's a life that's distinct from the ways of the world. We are the called out ones. We are those indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. We're different. We're strange people in this world in which we live. So, Jesus did this work, was taken up, and through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles which he had chosen. Notice, gospel commands. The Lord Jesus has commanded his apostles to do particular things. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Luke is saying that Christ rose from the dead. He is one who was raised up by, he raised himself, the Father raised him, the Holy Spirit raised him, but he was raised from the dead for our justification. And so Luke says that there are many unmistakable, infallible proofs. There are many things that are evident that Jesus did that are unmistakable. That he rose from the dead. 500 witnesses, we read in Matthew 28, saw him as one who rose from the dead. He walked in among for 40 days with his disciples until he was taken up in the ascension. And so Luke is categorizing all of these things. Alive after his many sufferings, being seen after 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Christ spoke about the things pertaining to the things of God. The kingdom. And this is what he goes on and he says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Why, why do we have to be com, com, uh, the commandment right here? Why, does, why do we as disciples of Christ, why do we as the redeemed have to always be commanded? Had to be told. Don't depart. You know, the Lord told Peter this. Don't depart. Wait for the promise that uh, the Father has promised you. And this is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In a fullness that the Holy Spirit comes. Wait for the promise. What did Peter do? He went fishing. He got impatient. Aren't we that way? We become impatient when we're not on the same agenda as the message and the mission which God has given to us. We become impatient when we want our agenda, when we want our program to be rubber stamped by God. We become impatient. We won't have time then for what the scripture teaches. To wait. To be patient. Wait on the Lord and He will renew your strength. It's hard to wait. We get impatient. We want things now. We want to see it now. We want to do it now. We often put the cart before the horse. And we find out what a train wreck that is, don't we? Mixing metaphors there. But he commands them to wait. And this is the promise the Father has given to them. Which Christ spoke of this promise. And this is a wondrous promise. It's a promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Spirit being then, as they are baptized by the Holy Spirit, indwelt, filled, and empowered for the work that God has called them to do. Now, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which every true believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit, it means you are engrafted into Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit. And then we find in the Scriptures as well the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
What you find when one who is baptized with the Spirit and is filled up with the Spirit of God, that they are bold and zealous to do that which God calls them to do. In light of all the difficulties and the problems and the persecution, the trouble, tribulation, they are bold to stand firm. It's irrelevant what you do to them. This is what God has called me to. This is the message. This is the mission. I change neither. I will not change the message. I will not make it lower. I will not tone it down. And I will not change my direction. This is what God has called me to do. That's what happens when one is filled with the Spirit. How does one become filled with the Spirit of God? By being immersed in the Word of God. You become dominated by the teaching of Scripture. Your mind is flooded with the truth of God's Word. And you speak boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Come what may. Boy, do we not need that today? Do we not need the filling of the Holy Spirit? An infusion of boldness in the life of the church? You know, we, we sing the song, Onward Christian Soldiers. But really? Are we really marching as to war? Are you really spiritually in a worldview warfare? Are you taking it to the world? Notice that Christian soldiers are marching to the battle. Is that the church today? Is that what you see? I don't see it. I don't see the church marching. I see a lot of retreating. I see a lot of fear. I see a lot of lacking courage. I certainly don't see Christian soldiers. What is the remedy? You know, that's the difficulty, isn't it? When you desire, you know, I desire certain things for the church. I want certain things for the church. I desire to see fruit that abounds to your account. I desire to see the work of Christ by His Spirit and Word in your life so that you become vibrant. You become one who is involved in the life of the church. You are edifying and encouraging some and others are edifying and encouraging you and it's reciprocal in the life of the church. It is a growing church, a vital church. It's not irrelevant, it's relevant in the community. It's a mover and a shaker in the world and the community in which we live. We're doing, we're active, we're proclaiming, we're talking, we're gospelizers. I want to see that. And yet when you don't see that, when you see irrelevance, when you see the indifference, when you see the lethargy that sets upon the church, that's discouraging. It's discouraging in the life of the church. What am I to do? What can I do? I can't conjole you. I can't shoehorn you. I can't beat you into submission. I have neither the desire nor the time to do that. But what we find is that the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to build up, to encourage, to enliven, to strengthen the people of God. And that's what we need, beloved. We need those that are vibrant now to to come alongside of those that aren't, that are cooling off, that are becoming more and more lukewarm in the things of God, and to encourage them. to to put to them the things of truth of Christ. And so Christ gives the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which you have heard from me, that truly John baptized with water. 
John was a baptism under repentance. It was one that looked forward to the coming of Christ. It was a sign and a symbol of the cleansing rite that would be given truly spiritually with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the promise that was given to them. The Holy Spirit would energize the life of the church. And when the Holy Spirit energizes the church, the church marches. The church becomes fearless. This is what you find. You remember last Lord's Day when the religious rulers, they scourged them and they told them, they commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And there's Peter standing right in their grill, right up in their face. You know what? You choose. You decide which is right. To obey God rather than, than man. We cannot but preach and teach and live what we have seen and what we have heard. And they began proclaiming. And they didn't know what to do with them. And it says that they turned the world upside down with their doctrine. Boy, do we not need this today? Do we not need the church to be turned upside down with the doctrine of Christ? To be set astray, to be set right, to know that we are to live in accordance with all things that proceed from the mouth of our God. We don't make church up. We don't decide what's good for us and what's not good for us. It is told us in God's Word. We don't decide what church membership is and whether I should be here, whether I should be there, or do this or do that, or how I should serve, or whether I should serve. That is spoken, beloved, in God's Word. If we but had the Word of God dwelling in us richly, it would just simply change the face of the church of Jesus Christ. The world wouldn't know what to do with us. We would be persecuted hand over fist. That we're not is a demonstration that the church is not filled with the Spirit of God. There is no boldness. There is no zeal. There is an indifference. Like I said this morning in Sunday school. There is too much of a chameleon attitude in the life of individual Christians. You know, if the carpet's green, I could become green. I will go unnoticed. If it's brown, I'll be brown. If it's red, I'll be red. If it's blue, I'll be blue. I'll be unnoticed. No persecution. No rock in the boats. No problems and difficulties in the world in which I live. We're not called to be chameleons. We are called to be those that throw off every high and lofty doctrine, philosophy, psychology, everything lifted up by man. We are to cast it down with the Word of God. And not by the weapons of man's carnality, but the weapons of warfare, the Word of the true and living God. The spiritual warfare. That's what we read of in Ephesians 6. Beloved, we are to take it to the world. You understand that? We are to go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You are to go into spheres of your life and keep on encroaching more and more into further and greater spheres in your life. Speaking to more. Reaching into other areas. This is the call. We are to go everywhere with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Putting down all of the godless philosophies of this world that are coming to nothing. That cannot heal the soul of man. Satan uses these things. He spawns these things to deceive, to keep men's minds in darkness. It's the light of the gospel, beloved. 
And how is that light going to shine when we put it under a bushel basket? How are we going to be salty in the community in which we live if we've lost our savor? What do you do with salt that doesn't season your food? You throw it out. It's not even fit for the dunghill, Jesus said. We are to be savory. The only way that we as the people of God can become savory more and more, not not a decrease. It's an always more and more. It's an always keep on keeping on. To growing in grace and in knowledge. Not staying the same. Are you the same, spiritually speaking? Are you the same today as you were two years ago? Has there been any spiritual growth? Are you doing the same old thing? You know, you, 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 you don't come to Sunday school. You don't, you, once in a while you come to worship. You don't read your Bible. You're not involved in the life of the church. Heck, you know, if you don't show up, nobody even knows. Why? Because your face isn't seen enough. And then it's sad. This is a sad thing. Somebody that just all of a sudden up and disappears, and nobody says a word. Why? Didn't even notice. Why? Because they weren't even involved in the life of the church. They came in late. They left early. They didn't talk to anybody. Boom, out the door within a shot. They weren't involved in anything in the life of the church. Nobody even knew that they were members of the church. And then they're angry because nobody called them and talked to them when they all of a sudden up and disappeared. I didn't even know you were a member of the congregation. That's sad. That's strange. That's bizarre. But that happens in the life of the church. That's a sad thing. The only way for the church to be revitalized re-energized, recalibrated, is to get back to the Word of God. Now, I've told you that thousands of times over the last seven years. I I can't make you do it. But the Holy Spirit can give you that heart. And so that's the prayer now, isn't it? Praying that God's people would have a hunger and a thirst for the glory of Christ would have a hunger and a thirst to be a vital aspect of the body of Christ, to be involved. Somebody told me that they're on a fire department and if you miss only so many meetings, you're off the fire department. You're done. Well, we're, we're, we're more gracious here, aren't we? It's the people of God. But doesn't it speak to the issue of members of the church? What the responsibilities are as members of the church? What is my responsibility? What is your responsibility? You have a responsibility. And what is your responsibility? Are you striving to serve Christ well? Is that the direction of your life? But that's, that ought to be the prayer of all of us as God's people. To pray for a reviving of the church. That we'd be active in the life of the body so that we would be active in the sphere of influence where God has placed us. In the community to which he has called us. And that maybe, maybe others would be brought into the church of Jesus Christ by our godly walk when they begin talking to us about why we believe these particular things and we tell them about the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is what Luke was categorizing for Theophilus, the lover of God who wanted to know God in a deeper, more vibrant way in his life to make 
a difference in the people that God brings into the sphere of his influence. That ought to be the heart's prayer and cry of all of us. Amen. Shall we pray?